Okay, Seven Mile Road Church family, uh, we have a great day of joy and of celebration. We have a great few weeks ahead of us. Today is a day of great joy, of great celebration, of remembering Jesus. Uh, you're going to get to see the gospel and hear the gospel and experience the gospel as you are reminded of Jesus, that he's alive, that he changes lives, that he transforms people. Uh, if you've been with us for the last few weeks, you know that we've been preaching through a biblical series on baptism and trying to look through the scriptures and ask, what do the scriptures say about what baptism is and, and what it's about and what it's supposed to signify and seal? And I want to thank you very much, deeply from my heart, for how you've walked through this series. We said right from the beginning, we come from very different backgrounds, and even within church history, baptism has been this very divisive issue. And our prayer going in has been, Lord, help us to do this in a way that's full of integrity and thoughtfulness, and at the same time, humble and unified and joyful. And I think that God has truly answered our prayers in many ways, because you have walked through this with humility, with unity, with thoughtfulness, with integrity, and with joy. And God has been very kind and very patient with us, and you've been patient with one another and gracious to one another, humble with one another, dialogued and talked with one another, and even when you've disagreed, done so with unity and joy. And so we give God great thanks for that. We, we also rejoice that God has been at work throughout this season in the life of our church for a year and a half, but even these last few weeks in this series, and God has spoken to us and spoken to us through his word. And today, we get to celebrate as six folks from our church are responding to God's word in baptism. And so we have the great joy of baptizing folks as Jesus has commanded this day. And so we, we get to do that. And today, rather than me preaching... They're going to be the ones who come and tell you about Jesus and tell you about what Jesus has done in their lives. So rather than me standing for 30 minutes, we'll have them come for three, five minutes and tell you about who Jesus is and what Jesus did in their life and how they were transformed and changed and saved and how Jesus brought them from death to life. And so we'll get to hear the gospel. I want you to know that even for me, God has been working in my heart throughout this series. I've been pretty honest and transparent with most of you about my own struggles and wrestlings and thinking and studying. For about eight months or so, I have slept, drank, eat baptism. That's all I've been thinking about, studying about, and trying to do that humbly. I think I've read just about everything in print that I could read and listened to everything that I could listen to and talked with as many people as I could talk with and had conversations and prayer and still was just sort of figuring things out. As, as we preached a few weeks ago, when we look at what Christians believe and are unified about baptism, we have much to celebrate. And then when we figure out how they disagree in their practice of baptism, we want to be thoughtful and humble. But throughout this series, God's been working in my own heart and through a random series of events, including a story about losing my wedding ring, um, God sort of worked in my heart. I can tell you about that story later. Um, so that I feel like I, I've been convinced that I need to be believer baptized as well and baptized as a believer. So one of the things we'll do next week, as we mentioned, we have a joint service with Real Life Church, as God's sovereignty would have it. They are doing baptisms next week. We couldn't get any of the pastors to come over this week. And so when we celebrate that joint service together, I'm jumping in with a few of those folks who are getting baptized 
and we'll do that and celebrate the gospel together. So we have two great weeks of celebrating Jesus and his new life and his transformation here, celebrating unity between two churches here in Philadelphia that God planted over the last few years, and celebrating what he's doing through us as communities, and celebrating what he's doing in our lives as individuals. So today, uh, I want to encourage you to rejoice, to celebrate, to be glad that Jesus is alive, Jesus is at work. What we preach week in and week out is happening in the hearts and lives of people, and hopefully you'll get to hear that today. So give these six folks who are going to come and share their stories with you, your attention, celebrate over them. As they get baptized, remember that what this is is a picture of union with Jesus in his death and his resurrection and union with his body. 1 Corinthians 12 tells us that we're baptized into one body. And Acts tells us that they who were baptized were baptized into the church. And so they are being grafted into you. You're their brothers and sisters. So as you hear them, let your heart be stirred thinking, I'm responsible for the walk of these people to make sure that they stay with Jesus and I stay with them. So we'll celebrate what God has done in their lives. I'll let you hear the gospel from them and then we'll come and wrap up this time together. So I'm going to call Elvin and then they'll just come one at a time. Well, I'm not nervous at all, uh, uh, and uh, yeah, so I've, I've writ- written my testimony, that's what I'm up here for. When I'm nervous, I have a tendency to stutter a lot, so uh, please bear with me. I apologize for reading off of a piece of paper, but um, hopefully you can uh, get the gist of it. Um, my name is Elvin Verghese. Uh, growing, up, gro- growing up, I was blessed with parents who loved me deeply and worked hard to provide the best opportunities for me. They raised me in the church, and and our leisure time was spent in those Christian circles. Despite their intended upbringing for me, God was the last thing on my mind. My bent was towards video games, sports, and whatever mischievous activities I could conjure up with my friends. Attending school as a dorky Indian kid was a challenge. To me, elementary and middle school was about survival and not education. Uh, I faced constant ridicule and humiliation from uh, other students for things I had no control over. Their hateful and sometimes racist remarks started to take a toll on me. Uh, Compounding the hurt was feeling like I could not measure up to those who could excel in their classes, um, sit at the cool table in the cafeteria, Um, and get into dating relationships. Um, Approaching my teenage years, I noticed people at church behaved no differently um, than at school. I grew cynical about Christianity. I wanted nothing to do with their Jesus. But then God started to strip away things in in life that I held on to dearly. My friends didn't want to hang out anymore. Their interest was in girls. My grades declined further, and my pursuit of girls was met with rejection after rejection. (laughs) I remember feeling like a total failure. Anger filled my heart. I also felt insufficient, unwelcomed, and unlovable. Um, After a series of events, these feelings even drove me to the point of attempted suicide at the age of 13. Fortunately, my plans failed. A youth group member at church invited me to play guitar at a four-day youth retreat. He gave me a set of praise and worship songs to practice and asked me to read a book called No Compromise, The Life Story of Keith Green. In it, Green said that God broke through his callous heart. 
This statement got me thinking about my own spiritual condition. I began to wonder whether my problems were not totally because of others alone, but there was something deeply wrong in the heart of every man called sin. I heard the gospel preached at, at the retreat for the first time. I began to see I was living caught up in sin, guilt, and shame. Over the course of, the, of that retreat, I unloaded all my life's problems to my, scroll, my small group leader. He patiently listened. Uh, finally, he shared with me Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, which reads, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. The Good News version of the Bible, there was a, like a golden-colored Good News version. I don't know if you guys remember that. Uh, the Good News version of the Bible, uh, which he used, depicted this verse with a picture of a man carrying a boulder-like weight upon his shoulders. Another man stood behind to assist him with holding up that load. I stared at the picture in amazement, thinking what would cause some, someone to do such a thing. That was when the gospel started to make sense for me and the cross transformed into something personal. You see, Jesus had to redeem my understanding of humanity before I could trust, him, trust my life to him. What I learned was that Jesus was more radical than anything or anyone I've ever known. He laid down his life for his friends, John 15, verse 12 and 13. But not only that, he did so to take the sum total of my burdens, my guilt, my shame, my sins, and put it to death. His premise was that love, when purely administered, would change the entire world. At least that's my interpretation of it. I learned he took my place and gave his life as a ransom for the death that I deserved and awakened my dead soul with new life. I've been a Christian now for 16 years. Um, Jesus has restored me and blessed me beyond my wildest dreams. He gave me an education, a career, a home, an amazing church family, a beautiful wife who loves me, and two amazing sons, Noah and Isaiah. But it, even if he hadn't given me any of those blessings, he tastes so much better than anything I can ask for. They are the jewels Jesus adorns my crown with. Jesus gave me a new outlook on life. It's better to spend my life serving God and serving others with the hope that one day they too will also find rest for their souls in him than to be consumed with myself. In closing, if you are on the fence about Jesus, let me tell you what I found to be true during my walk with him over these years. Jesus, the very king of the universe, has accepted me. He has declared me his son and heir to his throne, Romans 8, verse 17. I can appeal to no higher authority than him. Jesus will never leave me nor forsake me, Hebrews 13, 5. Jesus, Jesus holds me with an iron fist and will never let me go, Psalms 37, 24. Jesus is loving and faithful even when I lose my own. Psalm 86, verse 15. And nothing can separate me from his love. Jesus elected me 
before the creation of the world. Ephesians 1.4. Therefore, he is sovereign over my past sin, my present grace, and my future glory. Jesus is the pearl of greatest price. Matthew 13, verses 45 and 46. In him, I found what is more valuable than all this world has to offer. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 6. Although there is a narrow road to follow him and sometimes a heavy cross to bear, when I've walked in that path, it has always led me to greater truths about what God has intended for my life. It is with eagerness and excitement I can testify to you on the day of my baptism that the old me is dead and gone. I will live for Christ. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. My name is Tina, and I've been a member of Sedema for the past year and a half. And I am very much excited to share this special day with all of you, because I consider all of you my family. And it is very humbling to see faces here that have been with me at different points of my spiritual journey. Um, it, it just humbles me so greatly that I'm able to reflect on the past couple of years of my life. I grew up in a Christian home. At the age of 20, I attended a summer youth conference where I learned that Jesus died for my sins and I have the gift of, gift of eternal salvation upon acceptance. However, I didn't fully understand what it meant to live for Christ, whether it be my own ignorance or my own shortfalls of wanting to yearn for him. So throughout middle school and high school, I just didn't understand who I was. I felt that if I did good things and if I tried hard, then that would be enough. So in school, I did my best. And at church, I was, I was very active in my youth group. I, I felt like I had different identities um, in different surroundings. I had to adapt to different situations. But in doing so, I felt that I was slowly losing myself. At the age of 20, I felt that I had hit rock bottom. I finally felt the repercussions of having all of these different identities. I started to feel lonely and hopeless. No one could understand me. Um, my family, they didn't understand what I was going through because I was dorming, and also they just didn't understand college life. I started to lose very close friendships, and I just couldn't grasp which, what my future held for me. I had to change majors, and I just felt like I was losing control. I felt that I couldn't understand myself, so how in the world can anyone else understand me? That's when I understood right then and there that I needed to surrender myself fully and wholly to my Lord. I surrendered all of me, my baggage-heavy, sinful self, to my Lord. I understood that he was waiting for me all along, that I didn't have to be perfect, that I didn't have to carry all of these different identities. I just had one, and that I was his child. I was his child. I was a child of God. I understood that Jesus is holy and righteous, and that no amount of work from me will ever suffice, will ever be enough, because I am a sinner. I understood that Jesus is my Lord because he is in control of everything in my life, 
and only if I let him will he show me his perfect will. He started to show me what it meant to love because he is a definition of love. And because of that, I started to develop meaningful and lasting relationships. I am free from my sinful self. I am made righteous by Jesus' blood. I am new because of his tender mercies and his grace. By being submissive, I started to see his hand in everything in my life. Everything is a living testament of how good my God is. For example, this week, as I was preparing Noah for my baptism, I was reading to him the story of Jesus' baptism. And within the story, it said that Jesus was 30. And I felt that that just hit me because I am 30. And I felt that the Holy Spirit was reassuring me that he has called me to be baptized and that he wants me to be obedient to him. I cannot wait to partake in this sacrament, this symbol pointing to the death of my own sinful self and showing my new being, my new identity in Christ. Thank you. Hi, I'm Brenda Daniel. As a young girl, my father and mother introduced me to Jesus. As I walked in faith through the years, I stumbled and fell, but through it all, Jesus remained my one true constant. I learned from my falls, and as he picked me up, I knew he loved me. Sometimes he even carried me when I had no strength to walk forward. He never left my side. A verse in scripture comes to mind for me today. Jeremiah 29, verse 13. You will seek me and find me, and when you search with me with all your heart. I am so happy to tell you today that I love Jesus, and he has died for me. I want to be his daughter in faith and in obedience by being reborn, renewed, and cleansed of all my sins. I have wanted to find a place comfortable to partake believers' baptism. Being part of Seven Mile, it is my joy to share my walk in Christ with my church family. I thank you and I praise God. Good morning. My name is Larissa Peel. Um, I'm going to start by saying I'm a little emotional person, so forgive me if I cry. Um, just this is very emotional for all of us today. Um, I have no. I grew up with a family that um, taught me to know and love God, but they taught it, but they didn't. They didn't practice what they preached. Um, I would be. They would send me off to church with the neighbors' kids. I would go to, I had loving grandparents who would send me off to summer Bible school, um, church camps, winter, you know, Christian camps, and, and to help me to know and love God. But my own family, my parents, wouldn't, didn't take me to church. Um, then as I was growing older and hitting my teens, my father, my mom kind of started taking us to church. On Sundays, it was just my, bro- my mom, my brother, and I. And then eventually, you know, she convinced my dad that, yeah, we should be a family and we should all go to church together. 
And so we church hopped and we church hopped and we church hopped. And I never had a very good planting. And then divorce struck my family. It was very hard. And as much as I knew and loved God, I turned my back and I put him on the back burner because I was so hurt and I didn't understand how my family could break. And so I tried to find avenues to fill my heart and the sorrow that I had because of all the hurt that I had and the way that it happened. And I did all the wrong things. I was not the person I wanted to be. I was not the Christian I wanted to be. And I didn't attend church for more than 10 years. And I found a relationship with a guy that I I thought that I knew and loved. We were having an interfaith relationship. He was Catholic. Um, And through the, you know, I thought that he was the one. I thought that he was going to help me. And he said he thought that he was going to save me from this horrible life that I'd lived and how. He was going to show me this great relationship, and we were going to grow and have a family together. But in my heart, I wanted to have a Protestant family and, and knowing of loving God, and he was a, a city firefighter, and so we had to live in the city and, and have a Catholic, raise our kids in a Catholic church, and that was his view, that we had to have everything Catholic. And I knew in my heart that that's not what I wanted, and I grew, and I wanted that more and more. I knew that this, he was not the one, and that I knew what I wanted was more important. And I felt like I was having to give myself and change who I wanted to be for him. So I broke up with him because I felt like I was not doing what God wanted me to do, and he worked on my heart. And over the last year and a half, God's been drawing me closer and closer to him and wanting me to come to church and I could feel it in my heart the need to be here. But I couldn't bring myself to come. I was too ashamed, too sore-hearted, too sad, hurt. And then I started making friends who believed in God and who you know, lived the life that I wanted to live. And I, they were just such wonderful people to me and so helpful and loving. And I began to have this growing desire to come to church and to be closer with Jesus. And through that and through their strength, I, on my own, decided that I wanted to come back to church and that I wanted to be here and that I wanted to follow Christ. And oddly enough, um, a fellow classmate at school had mentioned on Facebook this church. Shout out to Facebook. (laughs) Praise the Lord for Facebook. (laughs) Vicki mentioned on Facebook about this great church and how they were having, you know, this um, community meeting, but I couldn't make it. And I moved away from the area, and eight months later, I came back and thought, you know what, I'm going to check it out, because I thought it sounded really cool. And I thought, these are the kind of people that sound like they have a mission, and I want to be part of their mission. And so I came, and I started coming to Seven Mile earlier this year, and I've only been shown love and acceptance and tender hearts towards my, my own background. And I feel like there isn't, hasn't been that, everyone's practice what they preach and everyone's there's no clicks and it's just such an open family and I just want to grow in Christ with all of you and I'm thankful to have all of you here today wow, I'm really short hey everyone so for those of you who don't know me my name is Sim 
And actually, this is really weird, but while I was sitting over there, I was like really nervous about coming up, but now I'm actually excited to tell you what Jesus has done in my life. Um, and I'm gonna talk very informally because you guys aren't just a group of people. I don't even know all of you, but you're my friends and you're my family, so pardon my lack of eloquence. So I come from a Jewish family and growing up, I didn't really believe in God. Like I knew about God, but I didn't really have like a relationship with him. I more so believed in like a deity. Like I didn't know the God of the Bible. I just believed in like this God who created the universe, but he was very distant from me. And I also grew up, I come from like Holocaust survivors. So I knew about like all the sins of like Christians, what they had done, like, I'm sorry, I get nervous, sorry. What they had done to like my family and you know, about the Crusades and everything. So I grew up with like a very negative view of Christians. Um, but through God's grace, when, my, when I was nine, my mom got saved and she started like telling the rest of us the gospel. And like my grandparents were just very upset. Like, how can you believe in Jesus? Like, don't you know what those people did to us? Um, and I was nine. So like, if my mom is telling me this is true, I was gonna believe it. So I said the prayer of salvation, it meant absolutely nothing to me. But she still continued to tell me about Jesus. And you know, I went through the motions of like praying and stuff. Then when I got to high school, my freshman year, I kind of hit rock bottom. Like a lot of my relationships with like friends and guys were just like failing and I was just at a very low place. So like in a moment of selfish desperation, I decided to come to God. He was more of like a means than an end. I was like, all right, God, I'll, I'll try this. So I prayed about it and I prayed, but I, I actually believed that like he would help me. And I, I know that the Bible says that like ask and, and believe and he will answer you. And he brought me out of a lot. So like I knew that God was like working on my heart, but like he was still very distant. Like I didn't really want to follow him. I wanted to do my own thing. So throughout high school, um, like I said, things were starting to improve. And around like 11th grade, I was kind of on cloud nine. Like I was a straight A student, overachiever, involved in like all these activities. But I still felt like something was missing. I wasn't satisfied with any of that. And I knew that it was God. And like he was convicting me all throughout high school. And the way I like to kind of describe what God was doing in my life, it's kind of like wind. Like you don't see it, and you don't know when it's coming, but you can, you can see the effects. And that's what God was doing this whole time. It was like a continual process. And I also had like a lot of pride being Jewish and like believing in Jesus. I was like, oh yeah, I'm so cool. Like I'm a Messianic Jew. But then God was like really, God was like really breaking that down in me because I, I looked at like how I was behaving and like my actions and I realized I was no different from like any of my friends and what they were doing. And I would always compare myself. I'm like, well, maybe I'm bad, but I'm not doing this. I'm not like them. I would always separate myself. But then I just, I felt an overwhelming like conviction. So near the end of high school, um, I got into Penn and then this girl contacted me and she wanted to be my roommate because she knew I didn't party and stuff. And she came from a very like devout Christian home and she just loved the Lord and it was very apparent. So she started, once I came to Penn, she started going to um, Penn Students for Christ. So I kind of just tagged along and I was very hostile to like a Christian community because um, even though my mother knew Jesus, like it's difficult because there was like still a lot of stuff that we were taught and I was very against the church. So even though I had a community, there were a lot of people who were like trying to get me to get involved in community and I really didn't want to. I was almost like, I was very hostile. I was arrogant. I had all these arguments about like why the church was bad and like getting brainwashed by pastors and stuff. But through a series of like, I guess, weird coincidences and events, I kind of ended up at Seven Mile and it's been like a really fruitful time. Um, last December, my grandmother died, which was like a really hard time for my family. And I kind of turned from God then and I withdrew from the community. I alienated like a lot of my friends. 
And, but they're a very, there's like a small group of people who were very patient and they had grace on me and they were just really a testimony of God's love and grace. So um, I started coming back to church because I, I stopped going to church for a while and I had excuses. Oh, I'm tired. I don't want to go. It's 10 a.m. now. I thought it was 11. Um, so I started coming back to church and I was slowly like integrating back into the community. And right now, I guess what God's doing in my life is um, there's this quote by John Piper. He said something along the lines of, can you imagine a heaven where you have like everything, you know, no disease, everyone's happy living with each other, um, you know, you have everything you want, but there's no Jesus. And his point was like, do you love Christ? And I think that's what God's um, trying to teach me right now is just to love him wholly and to pursue him. And that's what I want to do. And with this baptism today, I just want to declare that Christ has made me a new creation and we're all the same in Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, but we are one in Christ. So. <laughs> Hi, my name is Chris. Uh, I've been coming here about just a little less than a year. Um, but my story with God goes back uh, pretty much to the beginning. Um, when my parents were pregnant with me, they were not believers. They had come both from different Christian backgrounds, but had never connected with that. My mom grew up Catholic and never knew who Jesus was. My dad grew up Methodist and knew Jesus' name, and that was it. Uh, so when they were pregnant with me, they decided this means something, we need to decide how we're going to raise our family. Um, so lo and behold, Jehovah's Witnesses showed up at the door and my mom said, this is great, they've come to answer all my questions. And she began to meet with them for a few weeks um, while my dad would be at work or unbeknownst to him. And uh, they thought this was great because most people turn them away a lot, I suppose. So they came in and they thought they hit the jackpot. My mom was eating it up. Uh, she'd never heard any of these things. She never had paid attention to them anyway. And uh, that was their purpose. So um, over the weeks, she became more and more curious and had more and more questions. And it didn't seem like it was going anywhere. And she met a pastor in that town, small town uh, in Wisconsin, outside Milwaukee. And uh, that pastor was a real Christian. Uh, who told her about Christ and how Christ had died for her. And uh, my mom recognized the truth in that, and that was how she began her relationship with Christ. And my dad, uh, after several arguments and fights, and a few years later, did too. And so they decided to raise me in a Christian home. Uh, so I grew up not only in a new believer's home, uh, but I also grew up, my mom chose to really pursue Christ, and she did that for a living. Uh, for a number of years, she led backyard clubs, five-day clubs, uh, part of a group called Child Evangelism Fellowship, uh, which some people might have heard of, but I don't know if anyone else has. And, uh, but they kind of specialized in the whole backyard clubs for kids. Um, they had the wordless book, which was like a book of six colors and nothing written on it, and in those six colors, they could teach the gospel to a four-year-old in terms that made sense. And so when I was four, I heard the gospel in those terms every week. And every week at the end of that week when they would ask the kids uh, to raise their hand if they believed this, if they wanted to give their life to Christ, I did it with them. Um, I would help pour the Kool-Aid and put out the snacks and then I would sit for the lesson and then I would pray a prayer of salvation every week. Um, it seemed like the thing to do. Every week I agreed with it. Every week it made sense. My mom said so. Uh, so it was great, and uh, 
I got saturated with a very basic, simple premise of Christianity, which was all true, but about as true as a little kid can understand it. I remember still at the age of seven, uh, laying in bed at night thinking, well, if I pray it, then I go to heaven, but if I don't mean it, then that doesn't count, and I'll still go to hell. So I better think about it again and pray it ser very seriously this time. So with a seven-year-old seriousness, I'd pray it on my own uh, in my spare time, uh, just to be sure, because uh, to me it was just an intellectual decision. It was something that if it made sense, you go with it. Uh, my parents put me in a Christian school starting in kindergarten, so I was taught the stories of Abraham and Moses, uh, along with George Washington and Martin Luther King. So history and Bible history were the same history. It was all real life. Uh, there was no questioning it. But I knew there was something more to a Christian life. It was more than just acknowledging history and historical events. There was some people who lived for it, and there were others who didn't. And I knew that there were some people who bought into it and some people who just sat there and took it in and said, sure, whatever. Um, and I knew that I didn't want to be someone faking it. I was getting to the age where I understood uh, sincerity and genuineness, and I knew there was something more to it. Uh, so around the age of 10, 10 or 11, I don't know for sure, I became a very distinct agnostic in which I could not be sure that God existed. I could not be sure that what they were telling me was true. I could not be sure the Bible was true. I had been believing all these things, but how did I know? How could I be sure any of these things were true? How could I verify history that took place before me? How could I verify if someone told me of miracles that those things took place? Or if I saw them, that they weren't just a hallucination or an elaborate hoax or something scientifically explainable? There's nothing I realized that could convince me, but at the same time, I felt this need to know for sure because I knew it made a difference. And that if I was going to commit to this life, I had to know it. And if I was going to commit to not living it, I had to be sure that that wasn't going to be a mistake either. Uh, so having nowhere else to turn and no one else that I trusted, I kind of came up with an elaborate uh, scheme on God to hold him, hold him to my logic in which I said, if God is real and worth believing in, he will convince me that he exists. He will know what it will take to convince me because I couldn't figure it out. Uh, and if he's worth believing, he will then do it because it's in both of our best interests to have that sorted out. Um, and if he doesn't care, then even if he does exist, I don't care. Um, so I kind of left that on him. And I didn't mean it as a dare or a challenge, but it seemed logical. And I prayed that prayer with trust that he would, that he would take care of it. And that if he didn't, I wasn't going to put any constraints on him, but if he didn't meet that, then I was just going to go on with my life and let that go. Um, so I kind of gave him some time and left it on his terms and, and forgot about it and went to school. Um, I was about 10 or 11. And so I remember sitting in the back seat of my car on the way to school and I remembered, I was like, oh yeah, I remember that prayer I did. I wonder what he's going to do. I was waiting for some big extraordinary event. Um, I was expecting God to come down and really speak to me and announce himself. And that didn't happen. Instead of speaking to me at all in any direct kind of way, I found myself almost speaking back to him. And as I was thinking about it, realizing and thinking to myself, I believe. 
And I knew in that moment that I did believe and that I was convinced and that God had just given me exactly what I'd asked for. He had, he had come and spoken to me silently and just kind of presented himself before me. And I knew that he was real. And I knew that that was nonsense because he didn't do anything. Nothing was there to convince me. There was nothing for me to point to to say, this thing is what I'm convinced in. This thing is why I believe or what I believe. It was just me and God, and I knew it, and I believed it, and I trusted it. And something so backwards, having exactly the effect I was looking for, I knew had to come from God because only he's capable of such such a complicated interaction. Only he was capable of coming to me when I couldn't go to him to find him. Uh, and that's exactly what he did. And from that point on, I always knew that God existed. And I knew that that meant something and that if that was going to be true, that I owed him everything. Uh, at 10 years old, that didn't mean much. I went to school and I did my homework. Um, I more or less did what my parents said when they were looking. So to me, that was giving my life to God at that point. But I believed, and that part stuck with me and never left. And the fact that he would reach out to me and come to me was something that always resonated. The fact that when I called for him and when I sought him out, I couldn't find him until he came to me, and he was faithful to come to me. Um, it was later, as I got older, that I started to understand the consequences of giving your life to God and that he calls you for more and that he keeps coming back to finish the work he began. Um, and he did. Uh, I was very surprised many, many years later to discover, um, when I finally asked my father how he came to know the Lord, I knew it was sometime after I was born, he told me that in his anger and frustration and confusion, he had prayed a similar prayer, prayer and asked God to reveal himself to him. And that's exactly how he came to finally realize that Christ was true as well. And I thought that was an interesting thing that we had both experienced it, yet I had never known that, that, had, that my father's experience had no influence on me making those decisions or how I approached God either. And I thought there was something strangely universal about being able to challenge God to reveal truth because God wants to reveal his truth to us. Um, he's waiting for us to challenge him with that because he, he's been trying to reveal it to us all along. Uh, and there was one experience in college that brought it full circle. Uh, I would get involved with uh, Campus Crusade for Christ at my university in Wisconsin. And uh, there was one kid who was very intellectual like me, very agnostic, very uh, put his, his mind and his understanding of religion was first and foremost into what he decided about those things. And we would try to talk to him about everything, about the Bible, about theology, about verses, about history, about what you can believe is true, what the institution of our education system teaches you versus what the institution of different churches teach you versus what is the real truth. And we were getting nowhere. It was all just talk. It was all just speculation. And finally I said, his name was Joe. And finally I was like, Joe, listen, we could talk about this till we're blue in the faith. We've been doing this for weeks. We've been doing it all night. At some point, there's more to just understanding and thinking you have to experience. If God is real, it's not about whether or not you believe he's real. It's not about whether or not the sky is blue until you can see it. Um, and I told him how I came to know the Lord, and I said, listen, I just asked God to do this, and he came to me. I believe this is real, and if you sincerely ask the same thing, I think he will reveal himself to you the same way. 
And uh, he, he kind of understood the logic, and he said, I'll think about it. He didn't want to jump into it either. He wanted to decide for himself if he even wanted to commit to that kind of challenge. And I left him with that and uh, continued to see him around class, around the dorms, around Bible studies, um, never really knowing it, what had happened with that, if he had ever taken that challenge or not. And one day, uh, it finally just came up in conversation that he had done exactly that. And I remember being very very on the edge of my seat, wondering if my experience had been unique or specific to me or something I had imagined all in my head that I could probably convince myself and get lost in my own versions of reality, but for something to work for multiple people, there must have been something universally true about it. And he came back and said uh, that was the first time that God had ever responded to him and interacted with him and connected with him was when he finally gave God a chance and opened himself to that. And I just couldn't believe that it actually worked and that he had given his life to Christ um, and had prayed upon that moment that, uh, that he was going to give his life to Christ and to God because God had come to him and answered that. And I just find it amazing that God would take us uh, who are not a part of him, who've been separated from him. And like it, I believe it says in John, how he grafts us into him like branches on a tree, like branches from a whole other tree. There's no connection at all. And he can take them and grow them together until it becomes one, one church, one family, one body. Um, and that's uh, my story about how I came to know God personally. So rejoice and be glad because Jesus is alive and Jesus continues to change lives. I want to remind you of what we're doing today. These sacraments that we've preached for the last few weeks Baptism, as we'll celebrate in a, in a few minutes as we drive over, and communion, which we'll come to now. Jesus has given us very simple things, bread and wine and water, things that we can see and touch and taste and feel to remind us of things that we cannot see and touch and taste and feel. In his love for the church, Jesus gave us ways to experience what cannot be otherwise seen, right? So invisible, spiritual inward realities shown in physical, visible, outward signs and symbols. So as we come to communion today, as surely as you eat that bread, very simple, and as surely as that juice flows down your throat, so surely has Jesus' body been broken for you and his blood shed for the forgiveness of your sins. And as surely as you eat and drink that, so surely has he removed all your sins from you and given you the righteousness you needed. And for these folks who are getting baptized, as surely as water covers them, so surely has their sins been cleansed away. And as surely as they go into the waters, their old lives have died with Christ. And as surely as they come out, they have resurrected to new life in Christ. All of this happens by faith and is symbolized through baptism. So that's what we get to celebrate today together. Let's pray. Our God, we give you thanks for this good day. We rejoice and are glad. We thank you that the salvation of the Lord continues to flow throughout, that like a great wind, Jesus says in John 3, the Spirit blows where it will and no one knows where it comes from or where it goes. And at one moment we did not believe and we were lost. We wanted nothing to do with life itself. We were trying to find different identities. We wandered away from you and your church. We believed with our head, but not in our hearts. 
We were lost, agnostic, skeptical, hateful. We didn't want you or your church. And in another moment, in an exact moment or a season, through one conversation or through many, you saved us. You changed our hearts and gave us love for Christ and gave us love for his body. And we get to celebrate that today. We give you thanks for the lives of, of six of our brothers and sisters that we have heard. We pray your blessing upon them. For all of us today, as we come to communion who believe in you, and all of us as we see these baptisms, we would be reminded of our own relationship with you. If we do not know you, that we'd be drawn to Christ today. And if we do know you, we would celebrate in what you have done in our hearts and souls. Thank you that you do build your church as you've promised to do. We ask that you would continue. Do more than we knew to ask. Be with our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.